Good morning and welcome. We're so, so glad that you're here today. It's a beautiful weekend. Very grateful for holiday weekend. We're very grateful for those of you that are visiting with us. If you are traveling, we pray that you might reach your destination safely. If you are visiting and looking for a church home, we'd love to have you consider the work here. We would certainly welcome you to the church here. You can join hands with us and help us do all that we can to lift Christ up in this community. Very grateful for Jared preaching in my absence last week. I had the opportunity to be in Jackson, Jacksonville, Alabama last week where Alan Webster preaches. They are celebrating their 100th anniversary. And so very grateful for all the work that goes on down there and uh, certainly want to commend them for 100 years of service. I want to ask you to turn with me today in your Bible to John chapter 8, the passage read a moment ago, John chapter 8. This is Memorial Day weekend, and in light of that, many of us think about all of the heroic efforts of those who have served in our military. There have been countless lives lost on the battlefield in an effort to preserve for us the blessings of freedom. And I'm very grateful to the men and women who serve our country and to all those who have served and those who continue to serve to make this such a great place to live. I think about all the great blessings of freedom that we enjoy. And I would hope and pray that we never take those blessings for granted. Not long ago, I had the opportunity to attend a funeral service for a friend of mine who passed away at the age of 93. His service was conducted on his 94th birthday. He had been a veteran from World War II. And as I look back over his life, one of the darkest periods in his 93 years was when he was captured in World War II. Spent about a year in prison as a prisoner of war. He said that when he was captured, he weighed about 200 pounds. When he was released, he was down to 140 pounds. I can't imagine what that man went through. He was a brother in Christ, served as an elder, did a lot of good in his life. And yet, that was, as we would say, a watershed moment in his life. He never forgot it. As a matter of fact, not long ago, he had the opportunity to go back overseas and to relive some of those memories. And I'm grateful that he had that opportunity. But he was, by all accounts, a prisoner of war for a year. Today I want to talk about those who are prisoners of war, but I want us to look at it not necessarily from a carnal vantage point, but from a spiritual vantage point. Because what we need to understand is the devil is in the business of taking people as captives. His goal is to imprison you and me in a life of sin. So let's think about that for just a moment. Let's look at John chapter 8. I want to begin our study today by, first of all, calling attention to the flirtation with sin. 
Many of us, we understand what it means to flirt. And there are a lot of folks in our world today, they like to flirt. Well, spiritually speaking, what we need to understand is the devil is a master at his craft, and what he likes to do is flirt with people who are members of the human family. And so I want to begin by, first of all, as we think about the flirtation with sin, I want to begin by talking about some factual information regarding the devil. There are some facts that we need to know as we think about going to war, spiritually speaking. And this idea of engaging in spiritual warfare is found throughout Scripture. I think about Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1 when he talks about warring a good warfare. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, he encourages Timothy to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul would say, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on life eternal. In Ephesians chapter 6, we are encouraged to put on the whole armor of God. And so we understand we're at war, we're at battle with the devil. So what about some factual information as it relates to the devil? I want to begin by saying, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 38... The devil is identified as the wicked one. In verse 39 of that same chapter, the devil is identified as the enemy. When people go to war, they understand who the enemy is. As a matter of fact, they have to understand who they're fighting against. So we need to understand we're going to war against the wicked one, against the enemy. In John chapter 8, Jesus identifies the devil as a murderer and a liar. So think about it. He is the wicked one. He is an enemy. He is a murderer. And he is a liar. Peter identifies him in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, as the adversary. He's not an ally. He is an adversary. World War II, we talked about our allies, our allied friends. We were going against a very powerful adversary in that day and time. Well, today we're going against a very powerful adversary. He is identified as the devil. And then in Revelation chapter 12, John describes him as the deceiver of this whole world. So there are some facts. We talk about this factual information about the devil. Now, I want you to think with me very quickly about some tactical information about the devil. I have never served in the military, but I understand that during wartime, there are daily briefings. And there are people who are in positions of authority in our armed forces that tac tactically will map out the enemy, and their goal is to understand how he operates, how he is operating. And what they want to do is defeat the enemy. So we talk about this tactical information. What about the devil? How does he operate? Let me give you a couple of, a couple of ideas here. First, I want to suggest that the devil is a schemer. 
In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul said, Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. In other words, he's a, he is a deceiver, isn't he? His goal is to circumvent your faith and my faith. So not only is the devil a schemer, but he is a scammer. How many of us, we know what a scammer is, don't we? I mean, we hear about it all the time on the news. As a matter of fact, I was talking to a fellow sometime back. And he was telling me about someone on Facebook that had deceived him. I couldn't believe this. He said this person portrayed themselves as a former graduate, a schoolmate. And he said this person took him for almost $20,000. Unbelievable what some people will do. There are a lot of scammers. And you know, Paul in Romans chapter 1 talks about those who are inventors of evil things. These guys are always working. They're always trying to run a scam. Sometimes, sadly, we see them show up here at the church building. And they will scam you if you allow them to. There are some people that legitimately have very real needs, and we try to meet those needs. But there are some folks, it's not about a genuine need. It's about shaking you down. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to shake you down. He wants to deceive you, and he will deceive you. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden when the devil had a conversation with Mother Eve? And he asked her about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, whether or not they could eat. And she said of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we may freely eat. But that which is in the midst of the garden, we're not to eat it nor touch it, lest we die. And you remember what the devil said? You will not surely die. That was a lie, wasn't it? That's the way people are today. We talk about those who are schemers and scammers. Let me tell you, they will take the shirt off your back. And that's what the devil will do. He will do his best to destroy you. How does he do that? He baits. Do you remember in James chapter 1 when James said, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. But he said, every man is tempted when he is drawn away by what? By his own lust. And he said, lust, when it has conceived, brings forth sin. Sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. What was it Jesus said about the devil? He is a liar. He is a murderer. His goal, to destroy your faith. His goal is to circumvent the faith of God's people. And sadly, sometimes he takes folks prisoner. Matter of fact, the Bible talks about how he imprisons people in sin. And I want to think about that with you for just a minute. Let's talk about incarceration in sin. You know, the idea of prison is not appealing. I have never spent time in prison. I've preached in prison, but I've never spent time there. I don't want to. But there are a lot of people in our world today that are incarcerated. Some will be there until they draw their last breath. Some on death's row. Well, the Bible talks about how we too can become incarcerated in a life of sin. So I want to just begin by 
first and foremost, talking about being ensnared in sin. I want you to listen, if you would, to what Jesus says in verse 34. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. What he's really saying is that when you engage in a life of habitual sin, you become enslaved to that way of life. So what about being ensnared in sin? Did you know the devil has the ability to blind us? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in whom the God of this age, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Here's, here's how the devil operates. He'll tell you that, like Mother Eve, it's okay. You do what you want to do. You function as your own God. Live as you want to live. Do as you want to do. He blinds people to that which is right and wrong. Isn't it amazing that we live in a country today, a country that in many respects prides itself in our history? When we go back and we look at our founding fathers and we think about many of those men and women had very strong opinions about the God of the Bible, didn't they? They believed deeply in the God of the Bible. They believed in the Word of God. As a matter of fact, they believed that the prosperity of this nation was rooted in, or rooted in, as we would say, a continuing belief in the God of heaven and earth. They believed that if we ever moved away from the principles of Scripture, that our nation would cease to be great, that ultimately doom would come. So you go back over the history of our country and you think about how much has changed in, what, over 200 years? We are now living in what has been called a post-Christian nation. Can you believe that? I use the word Christian in a generic way. You see, the time was when people in our country deeply believed in the God of the Bible, deeply believed that God's Word is supreme, is the final standard, as we would say. Do you remember back in World War II after the war ended and they began trying those who had a part in the German regime? And as they took those war criminals to trial, they appealed to a higher law, a law that was not necessarily binding on those who lived in Germany, but rather they were saying that we're appealing to a higher law, that is, to the God of heaven, to the Word of God, and that there's a standard that rises above national law, international law, etc. So we've changed a lot in our country, and the devil has been at the heart of all the changes going on. I mean, you look at how people are blinded today to simple things like right and wrong, truth and error. It's a sad time in some respects. Now, I want you to see something. We talk about being ensnared in sin, but what about being enslaved in sin? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul talks about 
The servant of God, that is, someone who would sit down with a person living in sin. The goal would be to bring about repentance, according to verse 25 of chapter 2. In verse 26, he would say that they might come to their senses. In other words, that that light would go off. And that they would recognize, you know what, there's a better way of life. And so he says that they may come to their senses and listen to him and escape the snare of the devil. What's the idea here? They're in bondage. They have become enslaved. Jesus said whoever commits sin is a slave, a bondservant of sin. In 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter talks about those who are overcome. And he said those who are overcome ultimately become a slave, a servant, in verse 19. Now I want you to think about the bondage of sin. And add to the bondage of sin the burdens of sin. You ever thought about what sin can do to the life of a person? It can wreck a person, can't it? Think about how the devil, you know, Peter said he walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he made a vower. Would you say that the devil has made inroads in the family today? Yes, he has. Yes, he has. Peter said he walks about as a roaring lion. The devil is in the hearts and lives of people, and he's right in the home in many respects. Look at the chaos that exists in our homes today in this nation. What's the old maxim? As the home goes, so goes the nation. Our nation is in trouble because our homes are in trouble. And the reason is because the devil has attacked the very fiber, the foundation of our nation. Because if you destroy the home, you destroy a nation. The psalmist said, except the Lord build the house, those who labor, labor in vain. The home that's built on the Lord. Now, you let sin into your life. And you become a slave of sin. I'm going to tell you, he will destroy your family. Let the world come into your life. You remember John talked about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Let a third party get involved in your marriage. And I'll tell you what, that marriage will go down the tubes. It'll be gone. Let a third party get involved in the rearing of your children. And you might have trouble. You know, Paul said, bring up your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. If you're a parent, please listen. Please listen. I'm not saying this to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. If you want your children to be faithful to God, you can't afford to be sporadic in your attendance to Bible study and worship. You can't afford to not center your home on the Lord. You can't afford to not have your, young, your, your children involved in our youth, in our youth groups, activities. Because the devil is looking for a way in. And he'll blind you. And sometimes people get up in the morning on Sundays and they say, you know what, I don't really feel like going to services today. So they just wave it off. I don't feel like going back on Sunday. 
Sunday night or I don't feel like going to Bible study on Wednesday night because I'm, I'm tired, I've been busy all week, I need some free time, I need some time to myself. Let me tell you what, that's a dangerous trend. Dangerous. Don't let the devil in your family. And could I say kindly, he's in some of our families. He's in your home. Because as a mama and a daddy, you're not a spiritual leader. You're not where you ought to be, and your children won't be where they ought to be. And so, if you lose them when they get older, and you ask the question, what happened? I can tell you what happened. You weren't faithful to God. And if you're not faithful to God, do you really think they're going to be faithful to God? You can't rise above your leadership. It's true in the home, true in the church, true in the nation, it's true anywhere. Think about it. If you're not putting God first, and Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If he's not first in your life, something's wrong. And listen, if, if he's not first in your home life, your children will know it. They'll know it. So you've got to put him first. You've got to be like Paul who said, Christ is our life. It's the only way. Not only can the devil make inroads in our family life, he can make inroads in our finances. I mentioned a moment ago those who are schemers and scammers. Always trying to hustle a dollar from somebody. They don't want to work, they just want to take your money. That's how the devil is. He wants to take something that's very precious to you. He wants to take your family. He wants to rob you of your finances. You know, I see these guys on TV that have addiction problems. And I think about people who are enslaved to alcohol and to other types of drugs. And somebody says, well, what's, what's one drink? What's, what's, what's one shot of heroin? Let me tell you what. You will never have a problem with something you don't try. You want to have a problem with drinking and smoking and, and other types of recreational drugs? Then just, just try them. Use them. And I see these guys on TV that have been led to believe that, that this is fun, that this is excitement, that this is what I need. That's what the devil tells you. You need another drink. You need another toke. You need another shot. Whatever it is, that's what the devil says. But he never tells you about the carnage and the heartache and the loss of finances. Did you know that there are some people that have literally thrown away everything they have, monetarily speaking, because of drugs and alcohol and gambling and other things? You think the devil, do you think the devil feels sorry for you? You think the devil is hurt when you're hurting? Absolutely not. He delights in it. And these guys on television that are involved in recreational drugs, it starts fun, but it becomes a binding situation in life. In other words, they become enslaved to that way of life. So every day when they get up, you know what they're thinking about? I've got to have another drink. They get up in the morning, I've got to have another fix. Could I just say to you, that doesn't sound very fun to me. It doesn't sound very fun to me when people are enslaved 
to something that the devil is the author of. The devil wants to destroy you. He'll get in your family. He will come between you and your friends. How many friends, how many friendships have been destroyed by the devil and his work? Because people have gotten so caught up in a life of sin that they turn on anyone and everyone, sometimes even their own friends. He'll destroy your family. He'll destroy your friends. He'll destroy your finances. And let me tell you what, he will destroy your fun in life. Get out there and get enslaved to alcohol and drugs and other things that are out there in the world. What might begin as quote-unquote fun ends up as misery. Do you remember what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 13? We talk about his wisdom. Solomon said, the way of the transgressor is what? It's hard. It's tough. Third thing, very quickly, our time's gone. Let's talk about liberation from sin. First, the sacrifice for our liberation. Could I say to you this morning that our freedom was not cheap? Some of you may have lost a family member, a friend on the battlefield. And I could just say this. If one of my family members died on the battlefield, protecting and preserving the freedoms that we enjoy in this country, I'll tell you right up front, our freedom isn't cheap. It costs something. It costs my family member his blood. Now the cost of our liberation, Jesus, went to the cross, didn't he? The Bible says, God who spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. Jesus went to the cross. The Bible says that he tasted death, listen to him, for every man. Hebrews 2 verse 9. The cost of your freedom, the cost of my freedom was not cheap. What about the source of our liberation or freedom? Well, Listen to what Jesus said, verse 31. If you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. He said, you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. Think about it. The truth declares Jesus, doesn't it? Doesn't the truth describe Jesus? The Bible tells us about Jesus. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister to give his life a ransom for the many. Doesn't the Bible say that the Lord Jesus loves us? He laid down his life for us as a friend. John 13, 15. You think about all the wonderful attributes of Jesus. You think about his compassion, his love, his mercy, his grace, his kindness. And then the truth declared by Jesus. Think about Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Was Jesus saying that when we know the truth, it can set us free from a life of sin and death? Yes, that's the remedy. That's the prescription. What about the scope of our freedom or liberation? Did you know that the truth sets people free? And the invitation? Open to all. Listen to what Jesus said. Verse 36. If the Son makes you free, He said, you shall be free indeed. Free. Free from what? Free from sin and death. There are people who are caught up in sin. They are, for all intents and purposes, 
prisoners of war. And so what Jesus is saying is, I have the power, I have the ability to set you free. Wouldn't you like to be free? Wouldn't you like to be free from the bondage of sin? Wouldn't you like to be free from the burdens of sin? Wouldn't you like to be free from guilt and the shame of sin? It's possible. I said a moment ago, the invitation is open to all. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. John in the Revelation, in Revelation chapter 22 said, The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who is thirsty, come. Whoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. That's the invitation. It's open to all. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, could I encourage you to come to Christ? Could I encourage you to put Jesus first in your life? You believe him to be the son of, you, do you believe him to be the Son of God? If your answer is yes, what would prevent you from repenting of your sins? Confessing the name of Jesus before others, being immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away. And then to live faithfully with the promise, the expectation of heaven one day. Revelation 2.10. If you're here today, and for whatever, whatever reason, sin has gotten a stranglehold in your life, on your life, why not come home? To think that you can walk away from sin. But guess what? It's your decision. No one can force you. But you can make that decision. And the beauty is that if you will come home, God will abundantly pardon. First John 1 John 1.9. Won't you come as we stand and sing?